gave me this message a, a while back, actually, and I've been just studying it along and along and getting it prepared. And I was uh, coming down to the service, and he's like, Lord, are you sure that one? Because that's, that's, that's what you want. That's what he told me to preach to you tonight. So if the Lord will help me tonight, I'm going to give it to you like he gave it to me. Hallelujah. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 4. We're going to be reading verse 34 and 35. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on to the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. And then just quickly, you don't have to turn there with me, I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, it's a, uh, for most of y'all could probably quote it. It says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said, then said I, here am I, send me. Let us pray tonight. Father, we love you tonight and we're so thankful for the blessings that we've already received tonight, God. God, we ask that you just come down and touch this message, Lord God. Help us to apply it to our hearts and to our lives, God. Lord, use me as a vessel to speak what you would have me to speak to this church tonight, God. We'll be careful to praise you and give you the glory for it and the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. While studying for this message, I'm not sure why it did, but the phrase got stuck in my head, don't just stand there, do something. So if I had to give this message a title tonight, I believe that's what I'd title it. Don't just stand there, do something. That is a phrase that is used quite often in times of desperation. Someone could be sick or hurting, and bystanders may gather, and a person that is acquainted to or has a like interest in the person, so to speak, sees the people gathering, but they proclaim to everyone, the crowd, don't just stand there, do something. They understand the severity of the issue, and they realize that they cannot do whatever it is that needs to be done alone. So they are crying out for help from the others. Maybe there was an accident of some sort, and an instant reaction is just to take it all in and assess the situation and then call out for help, but that call for help comes to take action. Also, I have found many times working in a large group on one task, sometimes you get a couple of people that shoulder that load while the rest stand back and they admire what's happening or assist slightly, but the brunt of the work goes on while they just stand there. They may be given a specific task to do, but as soon as that task is done, or has been taken on by someone else, they back off and they just continue to watch what's happening. When everyone is focused on the task at hand and is staying busy, it's very easy to slip through the cracks and be an observer rather than a producer. They are not a self-motivated person. They need someone to direct them or point them out to them a task that needs to be done. They are not the type to just take a job by the horns and get it done and see it through. Instead, they sit around waiting on someone to point them in the direction that they should head. Don't misunderstand me when I say that, because sometimes that is what's needed in a given situation. But when it comes down to the furthering of this precious gospel, we desperately need all hands on deck. As I stand before you tonight, my cry to you this very hour, don't just stand there, do something. As a church in general, not maybe not our church specifically, but the general church world, has sold itself far, far short of what God intended for the church to be. Christ is the head of the church, 
But as we as a born-again, spirit-led church are the body of, Christ, of body of Christ, we are to be his arm ex- extended to the lost and dying world. From the early days of the church and the book of Acts until now, the Great Commission has not changed. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, and as followers of Christ, we are to be doing the same. No matter your geographical location, you are always to be on a mission, and that mission in short form is to make new disciples. Our community of believers have put zero emphasis, have put too much emphasis and given too much time to things that are of zero relevance when it comes to advancing the kingdom of heaven and pushing back the boundaries of hell. For the most part, the church has become a place that the so-called elect can come to receive a word from the pastor and it can encourage and lift them up and make them feel real good inside that they attended a church service and they are a member of their local church. They want to be on a family. They want to feel like they're part of something. They've sat in hundreds of services and taken full advantage of all that God has done for them, all that God will do for them, and all that God's blessed them with, but they have neglected to put all that has been sown in them to use. All the while, thousands upon thousands upon thousands are dying and going to hell on a daily basis. What good does a beautiful container do that is full if that container is never used to pour out what is in it? When God fills you up, you don't just stand there. You have to get up and transport that what's been placed inside of you and pour it out into others. We bring our struggles, our issues, and our addictions to church with us, and we pray over them, and we fight over them, and we fight the devil, and we give him everything we've got, but we haven't let God take that away. We have not fully surrendered to him yet. We hold on to them, and we hold back, and we let the same few sins trip us up and keep us in an altar of repentance rather than an altar of intercession. Now is not the time to retreat. Now is not the time to rest. Right now, we have to keep our foot on the gas. We have to pray and get the strength from God and put the devil on the run. It's time that we take back our churches, our families, and our communities, but it's going to take all of us working together in unison, reaching out into the darkness and spreading this love of Christ. So again, I proclaim to you tonight, don't just stand there. Do something. We must do all that we can while we can because at some point sooner than you think, the night's going to come and every work that's been left undone will remain undone. And anything that we could have done that we chose not to do or we refused to do or we left it up to someone else is going to be left on our hands. It's time for the church as a whole to come back to that place where we aren't in the corner of the ring counting our bruises and counting our scratches and saying, man, he's getting us good. It's time to get up and give the devil all we have left and fight like there is no tomorrow because for all we know, there might not be a tomorrow. The church exists to proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the kingdom of God in a lost and dying world. In being faithful to her calling, the church should be reaching people with the good news of the gospel and welcoming them into a local community of believers. The church is to be on mission with God. This isn't just God's mission. It is, but it's our mission too. The God of the Bible is a missionary God who graciously pursues people. Welcoming people into the local church should be the natural overflow of a local church's faithful ministry. Missions is not a department or a section of the church that just a couple of people attend to. It is a requirement for you as a Christian. This isn't about building the McClenney Church of God. This is about building the kingdom of God. We aren't working to make this a mega church. 
We're looking to make it to heaven and in doing so bringing every single person that we possibly can along with us. And we're not going to do it by being small minded and stuck in our ways. It can't be done if we are always looking to build ourselves up and just see what God's going to do for us and what's in it for us. Hallelujah. It can't be done if we like what the world has to offer and we jump back and forth in and out depending on who we're with, who we're talking to, who we're running with, what crowd we're with. It's going to take the Holy Ghost working through us first, but it's also going to require us to step out of our comfort zones and witness to those around us and share this gospel. Jesus gave the church its marching orders, and it was given by the head of the church, Jesus Christ, five times. The main thrust of these commands of the church is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm sure everybody could quote it with me. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We see that the church's purpose is the great commission of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world. That is one of the main purposes of the church. The church is not suggested to. It is commanded to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to take it into all the world. We are to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. We are to be his witnesses in the Caribbean and in Guatemala, in Ecuador, in Pakistan, and in Israel. We are to help free those slaves and to tell them of the one that freed us from our captivity. We are to help those in need and to be a blessing to those with what God has blessed us with, but not just to the ends of the earth. We are also to be witnesses at our schools, on our jobs, in our neighborhoods, and in our daily interactions. We are to be spreading this gospel all over the world. And it won't get done by just a couple of people. It is going to take all of us, young and old, man and woman, boy and girl, black and white, rich and poor, all of us. So how is it that we're going to be effective in reaching the lost? What must we do in order to win souls into the kingdom? How do we push back the boundaries of hell? We must be witnesses. A witness is one who sees or observes an event. Typically, this refers to a crime or an accident, but really this can be any event. This implies two things. First, that a witness has a personal experience of the event. And next, because of this personal experience, this witness has the knowledge of the truth. We must be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 1 and 8, Jesus says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in Baker County and in Jacksonville and in Lake City, down in South Florida and North Florida, anywhere you go, you're going to be a witness unto me. I said this last time I was up here, but it cannot be stressed enough in my opinion. You need the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will give you that boldness that it takes to proclaim this gospel. If you try and do it on your own strength, I can assure you you're going to fail miserably. We cannot effectively witness in our power. Intellect, knowledge, and wit is not enough. We must have that power. You have, not been, you have not been filled with the Holy Ghost to shout a little bit and talk in tongues. I know tonight, this, I know tonight, man, the youth was singing, and I was about to come out of my skin up here. I'm telling you what, I didn't know if I was going to be able to preach or not. It come time to call you all to the choir, and I said, Brother Shannon, will you please call them up here? I don't even know if I can put words together to get them up here tonight. 
But that's not all that we've been filled with the Holy Ghost for. It's not just to feel good on a Wednesday night to help me get through this week. You have been filled by the Holy Ghost to be a witness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 and 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. We need that boldness. It doesn't matter how small or weak you are. It doesn't matter how insignificant or unqualified that you feel. You are as long as you have the right backup. The truth is, you are unqualified. I'm unqualified. You're weak. I'm weak. You're small. I'm small. But the Christ in me and the Christ in you, that's what makes us strong. As Paul said in Corinthians, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <coughs> Second, we must be faithful. <coughs> Hebrews 10, 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. How can be we, we be witnesses to others and ask them to come to our church when we may not even be there ourselves when they show up? We must be that example to faithfulness in them and faithfulness in all things. How would you feel if somebody invited you over to their house for dinner? You pull up, you're ready to go, you knock on the door, and nobody's at home. Your life, whether you like it or not, may be the only gospel that some people see. So when they see that you are praising God in one breath and cursing in the next, they take notice. When you live one way in the church and you live another outside, the ones you are witnessing to, whether intentionally or inadvertently, are going to take notice. If you are up and down on a religious roller coaster, what you say is not going to hold weight with people. They will look at you as a hypocrite. They may not know you spiritually and know what you're going through, but they have eyes just like you and I do, and they can see when you are in and when you are not. We must be sold out. We must be faithful. We must be faithful in studying His Word. The Bible says, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that, <clears throat> that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. To spread the gospel, you must know the gospel. As a collective group, the church has seen an entire generation raised up to view the Bible, not as one redemptive message, but as a collection of stories and moral with the gospel as the key story. We have focused our attention on the short term and what God does for us rather than the long term and what God does for us that we can further his kingdom. We have focused on the end result or the behavioral modification in a very subtle way, we have taught the next generation that acting right becomes more important than believing right. We've made it appear as though it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you look like us, talk like us, and act like us, it's acceptable, and you, you don't have to believe like we do. We have turned the Bible into a counseling manual more than the revelation of God. With that viewpoint, it does not require a God who is intimately involved in all of creation and in all aspects of our lives, but a God who exists to bring us happiness, specifically in our spiritual lives. That makes the motivation for serving God stem more from changing our behavior from, than from living a life of radical faith. Such a viewpoint can work for the short term by showing new converts the cause and the effects of their sin. But if moral change is the primary focus of our faith, the long-term obedience that we seek will not be seen. That is what produces this up and down and back and forth and in and out lifestyle, and it is simply not going to cut it anymore. We have confused the point of the gospel with the result of the gospel. 
Please don't misunderstand me. There is much to be learned from the Bible and how God works in our lives, but we must see the bigger picture. For instance, instead of seeing the story of David as all Scripture does, tied closely to the story of redemption and the coming of the Messiah, we take a story like David and Goliath and we moralize it. And in doing so, we marginalize it. We preach about how David killed Goliath, so now we see how God helps us to defeat the small enemies that come in our lives. Our take on how Joseph's brother victimized him, and yet God used him, so Joseph's story becomes a means of therapy for those who have been hurt. Yet when we read the story of Joseph from the perspective of all of Scripture and the message of the redemption throughout, we see his vital role in the mission of God to save the sinner. This is not to say that we cannot learn practical advice from David's defeat of a giant, but it is to say that we can miss the greater point of these stories by turning them into individual stories with just morals. These are not just parables. They help us to connect with the plan of God in eternity. We have to take the gospel with us in its entirety and be able to communicate with others what it is that you and I believe in. When questioned on your beliefs, if you cannot tell someone what it is that you believe, how are you ever going to be able to witness to someone when you don't know who it is that you're witnessing to them about? And lastly, we must love our neighbor as ourselves. <clears throat> Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40 said, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In saying loving your neighbor as yourself, he's not just speaking on those that we choose to love. We must love everyone. We must love saint and sinner, rich and poor, black and white. You must love the homosexual and the drug addict, just as you do the saint that's sharing a pew with you. We hate that sin, but we love that sinner. 1 John 4.20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God who he hath, hath not seen? The Lord is not willing that any should perish, and we shouldn't be either. Our prayer should be that all come to repentance. That homosexual and that drug addict has a soul just like you and I. And that soul one day will be in eternity. And you will be held accountable if you choose not to share the gospel with them just because they were not like you and I. If you have a problem with someone's skin color and cannot sit in the same church with them because of it, I don't know how you are ever going to make it in heaven. My Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, After this I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Not everyone in heaven is going to look just like you, talk like you, or even worship like you. And I can almost guarantee you Southern Gospel is not going to be the only thing on the playlist when we get there. That is the beauty of heaven. So you must reach for those that look and act like you and those who don't. God loves all of us the same, and if the Son is in you, you will too. I live, <clears throat> I'll have to slow down for just a second here. <laughs> oh, man. I live at 927 Revels Road down in Jacksonville. And I have two houses on either side of me. And while studying for this message, <clears throat> I had a, a, such a conviction that came over my heart. I've spoken several times to both of my neighbors, and I've talked to them about several different things. 
And I began to, began to think not one time. And this is me talking. This is just me. You, you might be, you probably do, but not one time have I ever mentioned the name of Jesus to my literal neighbor, the person that lives right next to me. I pull out of my driveway every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, go to youth outings and church functions, but I don't even know if he knows that I know Christ. Is it evident in my speech? Can he see him in me? My prayer is that God can use me to reach that man and his family, and then I can witness to him and share the gospel with him. If it's good enough for me and it's good enough for you, then it's good enough to save my neighbor and yours too. I don't know about you, but in my own mind and my own thoughts, Sometimes I feel like, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, it's all I can do to you. I, lim- I put limits on God. I'd maybe not, I don't say God can't do that. I don't, I, that's not how I look, limit God. But I see a man that's got a leg. That's, I, I, me and Candace were just coming to church tonight, and I was getting on I-10, and there was a man that rolled by me, and my heart just broke. There's a man rolling a wheelchair down I-10, and he's missing half of his leg on one side and a whole foot on the other, and my heart just broke. And I mean, I might not have said it out loud, but I said, man, I, he, he's never going to have legs again. That's what I put that limitation on God. Instead of praying to God and asking God to help that man, I just immediately shut it out of my mind. I put that limitation on him. My whole life, is, is, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'll just hang on for a second. <laughs> my whole life, I've had this right eye right here. I don't even know if you guys know it or not, but I can't see out of this right eye. My whole life. I've never been able to see out of that right eye. I feel like I can see good. Like, like he said, I said, I might not be able to see good at all. He was talking about Brother Shane. I, I feel like I can see good, but I might not be able to see good because I don't know what it's like to see good. But I've put a limitation on God. I've had this. I've carried it around for 24 years, just a bad eye. They, they just said there's really nothing we can do for you. All we can do is just hope that it gets better over time. And I was like, well, I guess that's it for my eye. I put that limitation on God, and then I'll even take it a step further. I'm just really just being transparent as I can with you tonight. I've got a sister that right now, as far as I know, she's lost and on her way to hell. And I've put that limitation on God, and I don't even realize it. I said, I, I pray for her kids, and I pray for her all the time, and I'm, I hope that one day she'll, she'll find an altar of repentance, but I don't even share Christ with her anymore. I mean, she knows, she knows, I, and I, that's the excuse I use with myself. I mean, she knows. She's, she's been raised in this just like I was. But what if in conversation I brought it up and it just happened to plant that seed in there and one day she did come. But now I'm thinking, what if I don't? I've put that limitation on God. Our God is big enough to do it. He was good enough to save me. He's good enough to save. He's good enough for this entire world. If he can save me out of the sin that I was in, if he can save Brother Shannon out of the sin that he was in, if Brother Johnny, Brother Buddy, Brother Martin, if he can save you, he can save any of us. God's, God's not a respecter of person, and he's willing that all should come to repentance. So I ask you tonight, what would it feel like to be standing at the judgment, and you have your literal neighbor standing right next to you, the person that stares the same street as you right next to you. They're standing next to you, and their name is called, and it's not in the book of life. And they look over at you and realize that you had lived next to them all this time and not once have you ever brought up Jesus in conversation. You may think, Brother Roger, that's terrible. Don't talk like that. But I'm telling you, it could be reality. You may not even have another chance after you hear this message, but I do encourage you to make the most of it if you do. It's hard to witness, you say. 
What if somebody thinks that I'm weird or they don't like to talk to me if I don't talk about Jesus? I used to think like that in school. I didn't want to share Jesus with the kids at school because they thought I was weird. Like, man, they're going to think I'm weird. I'm not going to want to hang out. They're not going to hang out with me. So what if they think you're weird? You owe it to them, this gospel that God's put in you. You owe it to the kids at your school, to the people at your job, to the people at Starbucks, to the people at Walmart, to the people in downtown Jacksonville. You owe it to every person that you come in contact. You need to be a walking, talking gospel. Everywhere you go, your arms should be extended, reaching out for those that are lost. Anyone in here tonight could tell you if they had the strength of the means that they would do all they can to rescue someone in danger. If we could prevent someone from harming themselves or making a huge mistake physically, we would plea with them and beg them to change direction. I know from personal experience, watching my dad, I was, I don't know, I think I was about 12 or 13. I watched my dad, and I hope he's not watching tonight, but he struggled with my aunt. My aunt, I don't know, most of you probably don't know this, but my aunt died of an overdose when I was 13 years old. And I watched my dad, he plead with her, he begged with her, he'd done everything that he possibly could. He, he'd go over to her house in the middle of the night. He had her Baker acted several times. She was always on prescription drugs, all just doing everything she could to harm her. She would even physically hurt herself so she could go to the doctor and get prescriptions, and he prayed with her. I literally watched him one day drag her to church. He did all that he knew to do, everything that he could within him. And I, my prayer tonight is that I have that same desire to see my loved ones, see my friends, see my family and the community and where the people I work with. I want to see all of them saved that bad. That desire that he had to save his sister, I want to have that same desire to see those loved ones that I have saved. When it was all said and done, she did what it was that she wanted to do, and she eventually overdosed. It's a very sad story with not such a great happy ending, but my point in telling you is that not because my dad did not love her or did not reach out and do his best to redirect her. I've got some friends, some great friends outside of this church that I know right now that if they were to die, that heaven would not be their home. My prayer tonight is that they see Jesus in my life and that I can be a witness to them and lead them to Christ. I ask God every morning to help me look at the people around me with eternal eyes, not just seeing them as someone I know, but a person with a soul that is either going to heaven or to hell because there's no other way around it. That's it. I know I've been a little bit different tonight, but if you would, just stand with me as the musicians come. So we must carry this gospel with us. It must always be on the forefront of our minds. The gospel is not the diving board off of which we jump into the swimming pool of Christianity. It is the swimming pool itself. You cannot separate gospel and mission. We must display this Jesus that saved our soul so graciously and carry him with us throughout our day and allow him to minister to those that we come in contact with. I beg of you one more time tonight. Don't just stand there. Do something. Church, if we could, let's just come around these altars and find a place to pray and ask God to help us to be witnesses to him to this lost and dying world.